So this morning we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of God. And we come to Mark chapter 1 verse 35 through chapter 2 verse 12. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Hear now the eternal living word of God. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The word of the Lord. And so, anytime you do something, it matters not only what you're doing, but how you're doing it. 
When I'm teaching in the classroom, for example, it's crucial that I do teach them the particular math skills that we're working on. But also, how I teach it to them, my, my demeanor, how I treat them, and how I manage the class also matters. And the same goes for them as students. It's not only important that they get their work done and they learn the math skills, but it also matters how they behave. Some students feel that because they're getting their work done, they can behave however they choose. That they can now be disruptive and disrespectful to the teacher and their classmates. But how you're carrying yourself and how you're doing things matters. And as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as servants of our King, we have a mission to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God to those around us. We have a message to preach, to teach, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples who make disciples. And as we go about our mission for the kingdom of God, how we do it matters. This morning, we read Mark's account of the continuing ministry of Jesus in Galilee. And we see not only what Jesus does, his preaching, his uh, casting out demons, his healing, his continuing, but we'll also notice how he does it. And in this passage, we'll see three elements of the ministry of Jesus and their implications for us as his people. His prayer, his compassion, And his forgiveness of sins. His prayer. His compassion. And his forgiveness of sins. Our passage this morning follows Mark's account of Jesus. Exercising a demon in the synagogue. Healing Peter's mother-in-law. And just healing and casting out multiple demons. All on the first day of his public ministry. And so our passage begins the next day. Verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And so the next day, after his very busy first day of ministry, Jesus gets up early while it's still dark, and he goes to a place to be alone and pray. He's about to set out on his second day of ministry, which most likely will be busy. But he's taking the time to pray for the work to be done. Taking time to pray to praise the Father for the work he had done the previous day. And taking time to connect with his Father in prayer. And this shows us our first aspect of the ministry of Jesus that serves as a model for us. The prayer of Jesus. Prayer is a prevalent part of the ministry of Jesus. Mark only mentions it a few times, Jesus praying in his gospel. But if you go through the gospel of Luke, you see a much fuller picture of how often Jesus stopped to pray. Luke mentions it all throughout his gospel. And so Mark here is showing us what Jesus did. Jesus is modeling praying in private, praying in secret as he teaches in Sermon on the Mount. We see as his disciples that we need to pray. This is a part of our ministry. This is a part of our mission. Praying to praise God and glorifying his holy name. Praying for the will of God to be done in our lives, in our church, in the world. 
Praying for the healing of our sick family and friends. Praying for the comfort of those who are discouraged and brokenhearted. Praying for ourselves and our needs. And praying for the kingdom of God. That would be praying for conversions. Praying for a revival in our city, in our church, in our own hearts. And so as we're studying Mark's gospel, which tells us of how Jesus began the coming of the kingdom, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we see how Jesus modeled as a part of his ministry for the kingdom, praying. And we should be praying together corporately, individually, for the coming of God's kingdom. Praying for the conversions of specific people that we're witnessing to. Praying for God to bring us people who are eager to hear the gospel and to learn. Praying for our own spiritual growth in our hearts and in the hearts of others. Praying that you would further submit to God's rule in your life and that you would grow even more in your love of him and your love for others. And so when we think about being disciples of Jesus Christ, we should pray as he did. Pray with a love for God, a love for sinners, and a desire for God's rule on earth and in the hearts of all believers. And we pray for the task that will bring this about. Praying for our own efforts in the kingdom of God. Pray for fruit in our outreach efforts. Praying for the unconverted and newly converted people to come here, to hear the gospel, to be discipled. And praying for yourself and your own path of discipleship. And praying for the rest of our brothers and sisters in this congregation. And it's likely that Jesus prayed for his mission that day. Because he immediately goes into action. Starting in verse 36 it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so Simon, who is Peter, and the other disciples went looking for Jesus. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. It seems that the disciples thought that Jesus was going to stay in Capernaum. And continue to impress everyone with his miracles there. But Jesus had other plans. He said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus had more preaching to do. And the Greek word that's translated as preach, keruso, it means to herald, to proclaim a message. It was often used when someone proclaimed the message of a king. It's the same word used to describe what the apostles did in the book of Acts. It's the same word used in Paul's command to Timothy to preach the word. And God continues to call men to preach in public worship on the Lord's day. And this is his primary way of bringing his kingdom. And so Jesus isn't just performing miracles to gather a crowd. He has a mission. His mission is to proclaim the gospel of God. The gospel of the kingdom. And also to fulfill this good news. To make this good news come about in his life, death, and resurrection. And so after he tells the disciples this, he goes and does it. 
Verse 39 says, he, he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. His ministry continues and he is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And he's still exercising his authority over the demons. So the demons will continue to oppose him throughout his earthly ministry. But time and time again he shows that he has total power over them. Satan and his demons are no match for the power of God. And so then Mark tells us a story that happens while Jesus was preaching and ministering throughout Galilee. Starting in verse 40 it says, And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So during this time in Galilee, a leper finds Jesus, and he implores him. In desperation, he kneels down before Jesus, and he said, If you will, you can make me clean. And so... First, we notice that the leper didn't say for Jesus to heal him directly, but he said to make him clean. In the ancient world, there were actually dozens of skin diseases that came under the broad heading of leprosy, and they varied in their seriousness. Now, Mark doesn't tell us which type this is or how extreme it is, because according to the law, regardless of what type of leprosy it was, you were regarded as unclean. That is ceremonially unclean. And to be unclean as a Jew meant exile from the covenant community. If you were considered unclean for any reason, you weren't allowed near the temple. You couldn't even enter the gates of Jerusalem. And since leprosy was difficult to cure in the first century, this meant you had to live alone. You would have made others around you unclean. You couldn't live with family and friends, and so lepers were homeless. They, they, they were often dirty and they had torn clothing. They had to cover the bottom of their mouths so that people could notice that they were a leper from far away. Lepers weren't allowed to come within 50 steps of another person. And if they saw someone coming near them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that someone didn't unwittingly walk into their presence. Being a leper was one of the worst fates in Israel. And so this man with leprosy was not only unwell, but he was unclean. And therefore he was an outcast of society. And his coming up to Jesus, and his coming up to anyone, I'm sure Jesus had a crowd of people, was a brazen act. Lepers were to avoid contact with everyone. They weren't supposed to or allowed to just walk up to crowds. But he knew what Jesus could do. Not only could Jesus heal him physically, but Jesus can make him clean. And so Jesus, in verse 41, says, 
He was moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus is the all-powerful, Lord of all things, the God Almighty himself in the flesh. And although he has gained significant popularity for all of his miracles, he's not doing them to show off. He does them to bring the message of his kingdom, to confirm it. But also he does them out of compassion for sinners. He came to heal and to save. And so this is our second aspect we see from the ministry of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Jesus healing the leper not only reveals his power over human illness, but as I mentioned last week, it reveals his heart to heal. He has compassion on this man. And this man is a sinner, like every other person. So Jesus is healing this man that not who deserves his grace and mercy, but a man who deserves his wrath. Every one of us, you and I are sinners. And the sins of this leper sent Jesus to the cross. Your sin sent Jesus to the cross to die. And so the compassion of Jesus in carrying out his mission teaches us how we should be carrying out his mission. With compassion. Compassion on our fellow Christians. Compassion on the lost and our neighbors. Because everyone suffers. And we should have compassion on people in their suffering. But we should have a special compassion for those who are lost in their sins. Living in darkness. We know the cure for that illness. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the good news of the kingdom of God that can heal the sins of a sinner. No matter how far they may have gone, the cross of Jesus Christ reconciles sinners to God through faith. And so as you carry out your mission for the kingdom of God, it should be with a spirit of love, gentleness, patience, compassion, that you're living in the footsteps of the one who called you to follow him. Compassion for others should be an element of the Christian life, an element of the life of a disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus means living life the way he lived it. And this means having compassion for our loved ones, for anyone who is suffering, even strangers, your neighbors around you. That really is an element of loving your neighbor as yourself because you care about yourself when you're suffering. And so you should care about those around you in their suffering. Having compassion as Jesus had compassion. We see something else about Jesus healing this man. This man being unclean meant you were allowed to touch him. Or you would become unclean yourself. It's like if you take a shirt that is covered in wet mud and you put it on top of a nice, clean, white shirt. You now have two dirty shirts. And that is how being ceremonially unclean works. When something or someone who is unclean touches someone that is clean, you now have two unclean people. And so Jesus touching this man is even more shocking of an act than the man walking up to the crowd. If you were a Jew in the first century, you didn't touch a leper. Everyone knew this. But Jesus shows his power over the ceremonial law. He has the power and the authority to cast out demons. 
He has the power and the authority to heal those who are sick. And he has the power and the authority to cleanse those who are unclean without becoming unclean himself. And so then Jesus sternly charges this man and sends him on his way. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus commands this man to say nothing, similar to he does with the demons, but this is slightly different. And after commanding this man not to tell anyone that Jesus healed him, he, he didn't want the popularity that, and the crowds to hinder his mission. He didn't want people to misunderstand what his mission was. So then Jesus, though, then tells this man to go to the priest and make an offering for his cleansing. So this is something that is commanded in Leviticus 14. There's regulations concerning the ritual purity of someone who was healed of leprosy. And this was a long procedure. It took about eight days. And it involved going to the priests. And there was a sacrifice of birds, a ritual bathing, the shaving off of the person's hair, the sacrificing of a lamb, and so on. And so Jesus, who touched this man to heal him, is showing that he's not doing this with a disregard for the law, but he's doing this as the one with the authority to clean. The priest did these things as a representative of the one who was to come. The priest had no power to do these things in themselves. Jesus does have the power and the authority. Jesus can make the unclean clean again. And Jesus hasn't yet fulfilled the ceremonial law in his sacrificial death and resurrection. So he commands the man to go through the lengthy cleansing ritual with the priest at the temple. He wants this man to correctly observe the Old Testament regulations. and He wants the man to fulfill his legal obligations to provide formal proof of his cure and then allow him back into society. But we read in verse 45 that the man went out disobeying Jesus and talking freely about what happened, spreading the news of Jesus' ability to heal him and to make him clean. And the result? So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. At this point, Jesus' popularity exploded, which is probably one of the reasons why he told this man not to tell anyone. And he ended up going out to desolate places to avoid the crowds, but the crowds found him wherever he went. And so he didn't stay in those desolate places. He returns to Capernaum, and we read of another story that takes place at his home. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room. Even at, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So upon Jesus' return to Capernaum, people heard that he was here. They heard that he was at home. And so the crowds gathered once again. And it was so crowded that no one could fit in the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. 
He was heralding, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news of God and his coming kingdom. And then four men show up carrying a paralytic in his bed. They brought this man to Jesus who suffered from paralysis. He couldn't move. And so these four men had to carry this man in his bed all the way to where Jesus was. And so the fame of Jesus was clearly spreading. Crowds were gathering wherever he was. And and you can imagine, if you at that time had any ailment or sickness or your loved one was suffering physically in some way, and you heard the stories that were spreading about this man named Jesus, you would have gone and found him to get healed. And so these men did this with this paralytic man. And we have no idea how far they traveled, but carrying a grown man in a bed is not an easy task at any distance, even for four men. And they might have carried him some distance. And so this isn't on a whim. They must have believed that Jesus could heal him. They heard the stories that were spreading. Maybe one of them even saw Jesus heal someone in person. But either way, here they are. These men have shown up with a paralytic man because they believed Jesus could heal him. And they couldn't fit through the door because of this large crowd. So they were determined to get to Jesus. And they took the roof off and they lowered down the paralytic man on his bed. And then it says in verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the shock of everyone there. They heard the stories of Jesus' miraculous healing. They heard that he commands the demons to come out and that the demons obey him. They heard about his teaching with authority. And so when this paralytic man is lowered down on the bed into the house, they all would have expected Jesus to heal this man on the spot. That's probably why they were there, to see Jesus doing his healing. And they they thought he was about to give them what they came to see. But to everyone's surprise, he doesn't heal this paralytic man, at least not right away. Instead, Jesus claims he's forgiven the man's sins. This would have been shocking on multiple levels. Not only did Jesus not heal the man as they would have expected, but he claims that he's forgiven the man's sins. But sins are against God. And only God can forgive them. By saying this, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. And the scribes don't miss this. And so Jesus is now revealing a bit about his identity. And when he does, we see immediately his earthly opposition begins. He's been opposed by demons up until this point. And now that he's revealed a bit about his identity... His earthly opposition begins. We see in verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They know what this means. They know the magnitude of the claim that Jesus is making. But Jesus knows what they are thinking. It says, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, 
so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus, sensing that the scribes were questioning him about his claim to forgive sins, he says to them, why are you questioning these things in your heart? Showing that he has the ability to read minds, but he goes even further. To prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. He says, which is easier? To say to someone, your sins are forgiven? Or to say to this paralytic man who can't move and has to be carried in by four men, rise, get up, and walk. And Jesus' point here is that forgiving someone's sins can't be seen physically. It's easy for the scribes to deny that he actually did this and say that he's lying. But if he says to a paralytic man, get up and walk, everyone in that room will know whether or not he has the power to heal him immediately. Everyone would turn and look at the paralytic man and see whether or not he gets up. And so when Jesus tells this man, rise, pick up your bed and go home, the man does as Jesus says, immediately getting up. And everyone is amazed. And they're all glorifying God for what they saw. And the fame of Jesus begins to grow. But his earthly opposition begins at this moment too. He has revealed more about himself through his healing. Through saying he has the ability to forgive sins. And his opposition, as the story goes on, will increase in number. It will increase in intensity and hostility. And so in this passage, Jesus reveals something important about himself and about his mission. He has revealed his authority to forgive sins. And that is the third aspect of the ministry of Jesus this morning. His forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is a crucial element of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. To come into the kingdom, to come under God's rule, to come into God's presence requires the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus has come to fulfill all the promises of God, which includes the forgiveness of all the sins of those whom he calls to himself. Now, he hasn't yet in the story revealed how he's going to do that. But in this moment with the paralytic man, he's revealed his authority to do so. And that's part of what he's, done, he's going to do. He's going to forgive the sins of his people. And so for us, you and I, we clearly don't have the authority to forgive people's sins not being God. But you do have the ability to forgive. And so modeling Jesus, being like Jesus, for you and I means forgiving people in our lives. People who have wronged us. People who have hurt us. People who have committed evil against us. Jesus himself even links God's forgiveness for your sins to your duty to forgive others. In the evening service, we're we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight, we'll be at the second half of the Lord's Prayer. And immediately after teaching the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those who are forgiven by God through faith in Jesus Christ should forgive others in return. Forgiving people is a command. It's not optional. And it's the evidence of someone who has repented and believed in the gospel. 
It's the evidence of someone who has been brought to new spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence of someone who has received forgiveness themselves. The Apostle Paul makes the same connection in, in Ephesians 4. He said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But unfortunately, many Christians fall short of this command. Many people hold on to hurt and pain, refusing to forgive people in their past. They'll forgive to an extent. They'll forgive many people in their lives, but not that one. Not that one situation or person that hurts too much. Ultimately saying to God, I can't let go of that one, Lord. And so I want to ask you, is there anyone in your life you need to reconcile with? No matter how much you were hurt, no matter how long it's been as a Christian, God has the power to heal. Not only physically, but spiritually, emotionally. Reach out to God in prayer. Have compassion on the person that hurt you or that you hurt. Because it's probably both. In any serious conflict, usually both parties hurt each other. And so God can heal your wounds. God can give you the power to forgive as he's forgiven you. And the forgiveness that God extends to his people isn't on the basis of his ignoring your sin. It isn't on the basis of him overlooking it like it didn't happen. But he does so in line with his holiness, with his justice, with his righteousness. Because Jesus came and lived the perfectly righteous life that you could never live so that you could be seen as perfectly righteous before the Father. And he sacrificed himself on the cross Paying the penalty for your sins. Dying the death you deserve so that you could enter the kingdom of heaven. So that you could be a citizen of heaven. So that you could be called a child of God. And in return, he calls you to follow him. He calls you to live life as he did. Which would be praying in every situation. Going to God in prayer during good times and bad times. Praying to God during your successes and your suffering. Lifting up to God every situation. And he calls you to live with compassion. The compassion that he had in your own heart. Jesus lived with perfect compassion on the sinners around him. No one deserved his compassion. But he loved the people around him. And he had empathy when he saw them suffering. And so he calls you to do the same. And living like Jesus means forgiving like Jesus. Jesus forgave the sins like he did this paralytic man. These sins that this paralytic man committed were against him. He forgave your sins that were against him. And he died a brutal death on the cross as the perfect servant of the Lord in order to forgive your sins. And in your service of God, you're called to forgive sacrificially. When Peter asked our Lord how many times he should forgive people, he's saying, is seven times, is that enough? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is saying that you shouldn't limit your forgiveness. He goes on to tell a parable about how ridiculous it is for someone who has received infinite forgiveness from God not to forgive those that have wronged them. And so since your salvation is completely secured in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are now His. 
And he calls you to a new life of service, a new life of obedience, which includes prayer, compassion, forgiveness, all in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ who loves you with an infinite love. And he calls you to love in return. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you this, this morning knowing that we owe everything to you. We come before you with nothing that would gain your favor, that would gain your good graces. But even so, you loved us with a love beyond our comprehension and you sent your Son to die for us. And so we, with the new heart you have given us, We ask that your spirit continue to guide us. That we will be faithful in our prayer. And faithful in our love and compassion. And faithful in our forgiveness. All knowing that our sins have been completely forgiven. In the sacrifice of your son. And that we look for the new life. Where there will be no sin to forgive. There will be no need for compassion. There will be no more suffering. As we will be with you in heaven and you will be our God and we will be your people. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll ask you all to 